0: a great opening song uh, God you reign that's a great refrain I was reading in Job recently in Habakkuk this morning and that's one of the challenges both of them had was uh, is God in control and if he is why are these things going on in my life Um, God doesn't explain himself to Job if you remember the story Um, he says I'm God and you're not And I fulfill all my purposes. And Habakkuk closes famously in chapter 3. God tells him what's going to go on a little bit. But Habakkuk closes with those great statements. Though there a fig tree doesn't blossom, there's no fruit on the vine, I'm going to trust the Lord. doesn't mean that we always know what's going on in life or why God has allowed that. But God reigns. He's still in control. We need to remember that. That has nothing to do with where we're going this morning either. That was free. So have you guys seen this one? You know, if you're a child, it's hard to imagine your parents as anything but your parents. It's like, did they were they ever children? Did they have a life before we came along? They actually did, and uh, I love that one. Um, you guys probably can't read the text on this, but um, you can probably read the top. Have you experienced burnout? I can't remember where I pulled this, but this was a survey done recently, and if you can see, about 80%... Of uh, people say they 've experienced significant burnout, and this, this really means it 's significant it 's basically i 've overextended i 'm overdrawn on energies, etc, so that i 've sort of fallen out for a while. Eighty percent of people said at some point they 've experienced that. If you look by gender it 's more often women than men can 't imagine that. I wonder if men contribute to the women 's burnout. Would that be <laughs> possible? Family status is all over the place, but within a couple of points. I found the occupation, burnout by occupation at the bottom low. People talk about peop, uh, leaders in church as having significant burnout. That's 71%. If you go up to the right side, right side, yeah, um, house, uh, homemakers is 86%. The only thing that exceeded it was by 88% was uh, health care. I'm assuming that's doctors and folks that work long term long hours and challenging situations. So being a mom is a big challenge. Big challenge. So anyway, moms, we appreciate you. Glad you got us here. So with that, we will move to the message. Hey, and I hope you have a study sheet. You need one. Okay, if you don't have one, get one before we start. You can run up right now. You can get one because there's a test for you. Um, Guys, there's few things I'm more passionate about than what God says about families. And we're in a family passage this morning. Um, There's a lot of ground to cover, and I'll be tempted to run long. I'll try not to. And we're taking a a big passage, so Ephesians 5.22 through 6.9. It's it's divided in our Bibles through a chapter that's unfortunate. The chapter and verses aren't there in the text, right? And the subject is cut through right in half. It all belongs together, 5.22 through 6.9. That's where we're going this morning. But if you start with your study sheet, if you start with your study sheet for just a minute and just in your mind think through this question, if a friend or a neighbor described your family and your family is you as an individual your household you as a single adult you as a couple you as a couple with children whatever your family unit is if they think about you what terms would they use to describe your family you your couple your couple and children your family what kinds of adjectives might they use so might they say you're a happy family or you appear to be a very unhappy family or maybe you're a friendly family or you're an unfriendly family. You're gracious or you're hospitable or you're not inhospitable. What kinds of adjectives do you think others might use to describe your family? And there's some slots for you there on your study sheet. Write those down. So start there. So if you remember back in chapter four of Ephesians, and this is where we're going, we're in Ephesians again in the Christ overall series, um, We learn that Christ is representing himself to the world through the church. And the church is meant to manifest a little bit of what it looks like to live under the benevolent rule of Christ. Remember the theme of Ephesians is eventually the the end to which all things are moving is Christ rules over all things. And Christ today is meant to be ruling over the church. And the world sees Christ through the church as we use our gifts to serve each other, as we interact in the ways Paul talked about in Ephesians 4. Families are meant, Christian families are meant to have a similar testimony to the world around us. What does our family life tell the world around us about Christ and his rule? Would would our family be a good advertisement for Christ? And guys, by the way, let me just uh, let me say this. (laughs) Let me provide some caveats on the front end here. Several things. One, few things can elicit more pain in life than your family. So you may look at your family and you may say, Mike, you can just stop right now. Uh, It's painful to think about my family. Uh, That might be you this morning. You hold this for later, okay? You hold this for later. Um, Or some of the things we are going to go through this morning are old hat to many of us. But to others of us, you'll say you've got to be kidding. Does does God really say that? Are you really saying that's what's expected? And we'll work through that too. But we might, we're coming from different backgrounds, different expectations, lots of stuff going on in this whole subject. So we want to listen. We want to take the part that God has for us this morning. Don't worry about the rest, okay? Okay, it's a minefield on the things we're talking about this morning just because of the state of many things going on. So what is a household, what is a home, and what is a family lived under the Lordship of Christ? What does that look like? For a husband, for a wife, for kids, what does that look like? There's an element by which God means that when people see our families, they see a little bit of the kingdom of heaven because they see a family living under Christ's rule, his benevolent rule. And they say that's what it can look like. Have you guys ever known a family in the past that you said, I want to be like that? That's what I want when I grow up. I want to have a family like that. That's really what we're talking about. And it's possible when God tells us what it looks like and he tells us a little bit about how to get there in the text we're in this morning. Do you guys remember back in chapters 2 and 3, Paul said that he was going to tell us a mystery and the mystery was this, the secret that God was opening up to us, was that God was reconciling Jews and Gentiles together in one new body. And we, we yawn at that today, but that was... That was life-altering for them back in the day. Jews did not get along with Gentiles. Gentiles did not get along with Jews. Jews, highly religious, highly regulated lives. Gentiles, not so much. Immorality abounded. And God says, and you guys are now, you're together in one household, one family of faith. What God can do through Jews and Gentiles, He can do in your family and mine too. Hard is that made to believe at different times. God can reconcile people and families as well. You remember in Ephesians 4.32, be uh, kind, tender-hearted. It's it's an old memory verse. You guys have this, right? I used to know it by song. Tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. That doesn't start someplace else. That starts at your home and mine. Or the last verse we looked at in this series was Ephesians 5.21, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Paul's going to tell us what submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ looks like this morning. So this is the text 5:22 through 6:9. I'm going to read from the ESV. And if you use the Pew Bible, you can look at this on page 978. So it's a long text, bear with me and you mark up your Bible or your study sheet as that works for you. So Paul's continuing here and by the way, we call this a a household code or a family code. And you'll see the sim almost the same language and certainly similar theme in Colossians three and in first Peter three. So when God talks about families, he always says the same things. That means because we need to hear it. So Paul continues and says, wives, so he's talking about submission from verse twenty one. He moves into that theme here, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ, or in the same way that Christ is the head of the church, his body And is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ in the same way. So also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church. And gave himself up for her. That he might sanctify her. That's the purpose. Having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. So that he might present the church to himself in splendor. Without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, same way Christ did that, the same way husbands should love their wives as their own bodies, he who loves his wife loves himself. No one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church because we are members of his body. A quote here from Genesis 2, the original passage on marriage, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. The two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying it refers to Christ and the church. We're his body. He's the head of us, his body. Verse 33. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Shifting into chapter six, the theme continues, though. This is all about life in the family. Children. Obey your parents in the Lord, or as you would the Lord, for this is right. and quoting the fifth commandment from the ten words to Israel, honor your father and mother, this is the first commandment with a promise uh, back in Exodus and Deuteronomy five that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers do not provoke your children to anger but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Bond servants, and in case I forget to say this later, Uh, This is not employers and employees, guys. In context, we always, when we go through this passage, we talk about employers and employees. That's not the context here. That's the way in which we can apply it. It's the closest thing we have generally. In context, these are slaves. They are servants. They are indentured servants. This was the lifestyle in that time. Americans always divert in our thinking to slavery as it was in the American South pre-Civil War. That's not what slavery was like indentured servants. Think of uh, early colonists in the United States came across as indentured servants. They would have fit this this challenge. They were servants in someone else's household. So in this case, the bond servants are people that were part of your extended household. They're in your family. That's the thought here. So bond servants obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ, not by way of eye service, not only when you're being watched, as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bond or is free. Masters do the same to them. Stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and there is no partiality with him. God will treat you both the same. Remember that as you're interacting with that person who's under your authority. So there's a lot of stuff here, and we're really just going to scratch the surface, okay? But we'll cover bases. And the reason I wanted you to have your study sheet is because there's some personal checkoffs for you so that this is helpful to each one of us as we go home. So a marriage, and starting with marriage, a marriage under the Lordship of Christ is based on the Lordship of Christ. Marriage under the Lordship of Christ is based on the Lordship of Christ, not on how loving a husband is and not on how respectful a wife is. And I hope you caught the language in this. Everything we do, the mutual submission that Paul talked about in verse 21 is actually mutual submission to Christ. It's submission to Christ. All of us are called to submit to Christ. So Jesus is the head of the family. And a husband and wife obey Jesus in loving and respecting each other. So, a husband who loves his wife, that's the call, and we'll get to this in just a second, redemptively and sacrificially is first and foremost submitting himself to Christ. A husband in his call to love his wife is submitting to Christ through loving his wife. A woman who supports and respects her husband is first and foremost respecting her Lord Christ. Before her own husband. A husband who is lacking in loving service to his wife. Is in disobedience to Christ. A wife who is lacking in respect to her husband. Is disrespecting Christ. A husband submits to Christ by loving his wife. A wife submits to Christ by respecting her husband. It's this that's the mutual submission that all of us are called to. It's independent of. Of the love or respect, this is in marriage initially, that we get from our spouse. Your obedience isn't to your spouse, it's to Christ. I obey Christ as a husband, I obey Christ as a wife. And this, what you see is in all these relationships, that's the model. It's not ba- my parenting is not based on how well my children obey me. I'm submitting to Christ as a parent. As a child, I'm not my obedience to my parents. And guys, what we won't be able to do this morning is refine all these, right? Because you need to nuance and you need to qualify all of this stuff eventually, how that gets lived out, what it looks like. We don't have time for that this morning. But a child is called to obey parents as Christ. Christ is the model. The submission is ultimately and always to Christ. So if I'm a lousy husband, I can't blame my lousy wife i got to blame myself. If I'm a disrespectful wife, I can't blame my disrespecting husband. I've got to blame myself. It starts and ends with me and my submission to Christ. Any one of us can have a, a sterling role in our role in a family, not based on how other families treat us, based on our submission to Christ. That's the call, and it's what defines every one of these relationships. The ultimate submission is always to Christ. So my call on faithfulness as a husband or wife, a parent, a child, Lord or servant, is to Christ. It's not based on the worthiness of the person or people I'm interacting with. So, husbands, what are we called to? Did you notice this three times? You know when God repeats something, it's important. So verse 25, husbands love your wives. Husbands should love their wives. Verse 28, verse 33, let each one of you love his wife. What are husbands supposed to do? They're supposed to love their wife. Now, you know, that sounds really simple, doesn't it? Absolutely. You know, most guys would rather hear God say, go climb that mountain. Go tackle that impossible deed. You know, Odysseus's quest or whatever. And God just says, just love your wife. And we're like, You know, on one hand, you can say, is that all? But then when he defines what that looks like, then you're saying, really, I'd rather conquer the mountain. I'd rather go fight the enemy. This is really it. So the call is, is love your wife. The term, the Greek is agape. As you guys know, that's unqualified love. It, it's apart from my wife's response to me. What does that look like? So look at verse 25. As in the same way, Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So think about this just for a second. Christ's incarnation, descent from heaven, life on the earth, death on the cross, resurrection from the eternal purposes and counsels of God, that was to redeem his bride, the church. So the call of the husband to love his wife is with that same sort of intentionality, thoughtfulness, strategy and sense of sacrifice. That's the measure. Christ's love for the church is the way husbands are meant to love their wives. It requires thoughtfulness. It requires purpose. It requires sacrifice. He goes on at verse 26 and says that he might sanctify and cleanse her. Christ had a goal for his love for his church. Husbands are supposed to have a goal for their love, their loving interaction with their wives. Here it says um, that she would grow through thoughtful and consistent efforts Verse 27 is similar to bring her to a state of splendor and holiness. Verse 28 as their own bodies. You know, if I'm overweight from overeating, I'm paying attention to myself and my tastes and my body. If I'm a fitness guru and I'm in great shape, it's still about me and my body. God says, I assume you take care of yourselves, your body, for good or ill. You're supposed to, it should be that redundant that, of course, it's a given. That you take care of your wife, your spouse. And verse 29, nourishing and cherishing. Nourish has the sense of rearing up to maturity. That your goal is to help your wife grow. And cherish, uh, the thought comes from, uh, if you think of a chicken sitting on eggs, the hen is brooding, warming the eggs under her. That's the thought with this word cherish. It's thoughtful, it's warm, it's purposeful. It's your fostering life in your wife does this does this little checklist what do i want you to do That's why you have the study sheet check off the ones you think you're doing and leave the other ones blank okay and then think about this later And what would it look like for me to do these things what would that require of me so and here's the checklist do you have a plan to foster your wife's spiritual emotional and physical health as a husband do you have a plan for that See, Christ was intentional. There was purpose. There was a plan. Does this even enter our mind? For most guys, I come home from work. I hope supper's ready. My wife's there doing that stuff. This is life of an entirely different, different type, isn't it? Outlook. You don't just get here by accident. Do I have a plan for my wife? Is your wife becoming more the person God, her father? That's important to remember. Your wife is God's daughter, the way we treat our wives. Wants her to be through your thoughtful leadership. You know, most guys I know marry up. We marry better than we are. So for a lot of us, we might say, well, my wife's growing spiritually and she's doing well. And that's actually not the question. The question is, does she grow because of your investment? Through your interaction, your thoughtful, sacrificial interaction with your wife, is it because of that that she's growing? Uh, Do you pray for your wife? Guys, if you don't pray for your wife, who does? If, If your wife can't count on knowing my husband prays for me, who in the world is going to if you don't? Do you pray for your wife? Do you pray with your wife? It's hard to stay mad at someone very long if you're praying for them, isn't it? It's a great thing to pray with our wife, bonds us together. Does your wife have everything she needs to be successful in managing the home? Now, related to nuance, right? Different marriages, different responsibilities. It's going to look a little different for all of us. But as far as whatever your wife's responsible for, that you sort of say, I leave that to my wife. Does she have whatever she needs to be successful in that? Or have you not? Have you, do you expect things from her that she has not been provided for? The means to do that. Have you set her up for frustration, guys? And this is true on Mother's Day or any day. Do you require your children to obey and honor their mother? Now this is sacred ground for me. This one. Um, your children should know if they mess with your wife, they've messed with you, and that's a mistake. They need to know that. Uh, Your wife is first your wife, not their mother. Your kids will grow up and leave. Do you require that your children respect and obey your wife? You should. You must. If you don't, you've set your kids up for failure. You've set your wife up for failure. You've set your marriage up for failure. Your kids need to know, I don't mess with mom because dad will be on it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, Do you provide time away from kids and home responsibilities for your wife? Um, I married up. I married a goddess, my wife. And besides being a goddess, she was a highly capable woman. But you know, we had four children in five years. And my goddess, highly capable woman, she was losing her mind. And so she had an opportunity to work Wednesday nights and one Saturday a month. And we said, absolutely, go work. Now, this work was recreation. Dad's taking care of the kids. She doesn't have to worry about them. And she's interacting with adults. No diapers to change. None of, the, none of the normal responsibilities. For her, going to work was, it's like, I'm free. Whoopee, what's going on? Let's go do this. She was encouraged. She was built up because she was away. She had a breather from those responsibilities. It was a great thing. So are you doing that for your wife? Especially the younger your kids are, I think the heavier the drain tends to be. Um, time with others who encourage her, that your wife, you're being proactive and making sure that she meets with other gals, especially coffee or Bible studies or whatever, that encourage her, that build her up because she needs that, especially, especially with little kids. I'm um, asking her what God's showing her in the scriptures. Our wives have a brain and a mind and God interacts with them. And it's a courtesy, at least to ask them, what's God showing you in the scriptures? Asking your wife, what would be helpful? What would be helpful to you now? You know, especially uh, wives. Peter says wives are the weaker vessel. They're subject to a whole bunch of things guys typically aren't. You know, life has higher highs and lower lows typically for guys. What would be helpful? That will change over time. Would your wife say she's loved by you as Christ loves the church? If you ask your wife, scale of 1 to 10, Christ's love for the church, my husband's love for me, where do I rate on that? What would our wife say about that? Now, if a husband loved a wife this way, do you think the call for wives to submit to this kind of loving leadership would be a hard pill to swallow? In some ways, yes, but in other ways, no. If a wife is on the receiving end of this kind of thoughtful, sacrificial love, submitting to her husband would be a whole lot easier, right? more attractive. So switching to wives, what are wives called to? Uh, verse 22, the term submits not actually in the verse, this verse, it's implied from verse 21 and verse 24, but submit to their own husbands. By the way, it's to their own husbands. It's not to others' husbands. It's not to other men generally. It's to their own husband. Their husband is the one in authority there. Verse 24 says that wives submit in everything to their husbands, as the church submits to Christ. And submit here means, in the Greek, it means submit. It's complicated, isn't it? It's like love. <laughs> to obey, to put under, so to subdue under, to subject to. It means to submit. You know, this is, this is the most hated verse in the Bible in this culture, I think. And no, I kid you not, I was asked to do a wedding and uh, another church. And I was asked by the pastor there uh, what my theme would be, which I thought was totally appropriate, right? If someone's going to do a wedding in your church, you ask them, where are you coming from? What do you believe? Absolutely appropriate. And I had a great interaction. And I said, well, Ephesians 5 would probably be there. And, and, uh, well, as long as you don't talk about submission, I said, well, no, that would be right in the middle of there. And and, uh, the pastor said, well, I need to check this with, with my board. And I said, hey, absolutely great, fine. And I was relieved of duties to do that wedding, which was fine. And I, was, I talked to a friend, oh, just months later. So I'm in the coffee shop. This young guy, good guy. And he's going to do his first wedding. And he said, yeah, I was just talking to the pastor. And they asked me what my text would be. And I said, was it from this church? He said, absolutely. I said, OK, well, you're not going to be able to use that verse. <laughs> He said, yeah, that's what I was told. (laughs) So submit has become a dirty word in this culture because it has the thought of subjection or less worthiness. If I'm the one in submission, somehow I'm, I'm less significant. My personhood is being reduced. I'm not as valuable. That has nothing to do with anything, right? Philippians 2 talks about Jesus' submission to the Father. Willing submission. Was Jesus less worthy than God the Father? He's of the same essence. He's of the same type. He's of the same substance. He's not less worthy by the role he chose to take. Submission never implies a lack of worthiness. It's simply part of God's order. You see this. We won't get into this, but you see this in the Trinity itself. The different roles you see in the members of the Trinity. Verse 33 sums up, let the wife see that she respects her husband. Respect actually comes from the term fear. It's often used of God as well. So there's this thought of respect or reverence for my husband. Now, if somebody says, do I revere my husband, a woman, do I revere my husband? That might not be the word that comes to mind. But the thought is my husband stands in the role of Christ. Again, remember, this is about authority and submission to Christ ultimately. So the thought is, do I apply the kind of respect Christ deserves to my husband? That's the call. And that's not absolutely apples to apples, of course, but that's what this is meant to look like. So, gals, let me ask you a few questions as well. Uh, do you pray for your husband? Same thing. If you're not praying for your husband, who can your husband count on to be praying for him, if not you? Uh, does your husband know you respect him? I can't remember if it was Aretha Franklin. I think it was, but, yeah, R-E-S-P-E-C-T. Uh, that's, and, and, guys, no kidding, that's how men feel love. It's R-E-S-P-E-C-T. Gals, you could tell your husband a million times you love him. If you don't respect him, it'll be meaningless. For men, being respected is what communicates love. Affirmation is respect. Does your husband know you respect him? Do you build your husband up to your children and friends? Do you speak well of him in the city gates, as it were? Do you complain to kids and friends about your husband? Or do you build him up? And when I say this, do you speak well of your husband where you're able to? This isn't make-believe. This isn't applying things to your husband that aren't true. Where you can affirm and bless him by your words, do you? Can your husband count on your support? You know, husbands and wives may sometimes disagree on the best way forward. Ultimately, the call is the husband's. Where you can't come to agreement, ultimately the husband has the responsibility, whether he wants it or not, whether you want him to have it or not. Even in those situations, can you say... Out of respect for Christ and my husband, I'm supporting my husband. The limits on this are, are, there are limits, right? We're never doing what God commands us not to do, right? And we must do what God commands us to do. So we're not, there's lots of nuance to make here. But can your husband count on your support? Have you asked your husband what he would appreciate by way of support? What would be meaningful? How could I help you? What, What would be helpful? Um, yeah. Um, so with these requirements, husbands, love your wives this way. Wives, submit your life to your husband this way. Why are any of us married? If you saw this list beforehand, would you say I do? What were, what were we thinking? Now, you laugh, but do you remember in the Gospels when Jesus is talking about divorce and remarriage and basically says... Generally, you can't and you don't. And the disciples say, Why why would any of us get married then? That's Peter's response. Then Jesus says, Well, there's eunuchs for a variety of reasons. Some of those read the requirements and they said, No thanks. This is a big deal, isn't it? What do you find out happening if you if you've been married for a while, you know that basically God uses marriage to sanctify us, doesn't he? You're simply faced with your own selfish sins again and again and again. And again, and so it sanctifies us. And that's the big deal. We sanctify each other through that. So do husbands ever, much less always, deserve this kind of submission and respect? Do they, have they earned it? They haven't. And do wives, have they ever or much less always deserve, have they earned this kind of sacrificial love? Probably not. Does Christ deserve? that redeemed husbands love their wives sacrificially as he tells them to? Absolutely. Does Christ deserve that wives submit to their husbands in a respectful, helpful way? Absolutely. See, and again, that's the standard. The submission is ultimately always to Christ. Uh, he moves on to children and parents. You look at this in 6.1. Uh, children obey your parents in the lord for this is right see the same thing in colossians 3 children obey your parents in the lord this is right the the one this was by the way this was the first memory verse we gave our girls this is what everything else is based on if your children don't respect you right if they don't respect you how are you going to take them where god wants them to go they've got to respect you they've got to know about obedience and obedience, the word here, means to listen attentively, to heed or conform to a command or authority. Children, the call is always the same, to obey their parents. Their parents, especially when they're young, your kids don't know God. When they're, little, they're small kids, they know you. You're the authority in life. You stand in God's place. When you teach your children to obey you, you're teaching them to obey the authority God's put in their life, ultimately God himself. So the call to children is always the same it's children obey your parents we won't get into this is blessing under the law God said if you do this your life will be blessed but the call is to obey it's also secondarily it's to honor your father and your mother and honor there comes from Timo the the name Timothy comes from the same word to prize to revere to value to honor or respect to to fix a high value on your parents, to think of them that way, to treat them that way with respect and honor. So same thing. There's some, there's some times in which this has compromised our ability to do this, but that's the call. It's to obey and it's to honor. So on Mother's Day or not, do we honor our mothers? That's the call. Obedience and honor. If you're a minor, if you're still living in your parents' home, do you pray for your parents? Uh, one of my daughters when she emails will still put P T P F past tense prayed for. So I know I've been prayed for. You know, I've told my girls a different you don't need to give me any present. If you tell me you're praying for me, that's all I need. I'm good with that. You never give me another Father's Day card or whatever. I'm good. If, if I know you're praying for me. Are you characterized by obedience? Again, I'm living in my, under my parents' roof. Am I obeying my parents? Am I characterized by obeying? Uh, do you obey as soon as you're told to with a good attitude? This could be the challenge. I'm obeying on the outside, I'm throwing my fist up on the inside. We need both, right? Because it's a matter of respect, it's a matter of submission. Do we obey as soon as we're told with a good attitude? And this is huge for me, whether my parents are, uh, whether I'm still in their home or not. Would others who know you think you respect and obey your parents? And this really gets down to how do you talk about your parents to others? How do you talk about your parents to others? Do you make fun of your parents? Do you disrespect your parents verbally to others? Friends, schoolmates, work, fellow workers, would they think you respect your parents based on what they hear from you. And if you've moved out of your parents' home, do you pray for your parents? You know, parents are never too old to need prayer. Do you pray for your parents? Do you communicate value and respect to your parents as you're able to? You know, you may not live close together. A phone call, a card, something anything simple that communicates honor to your parents. And do you or are you willing to help your folks as able when they have physical or financial needs. And this is part of the use of honor. You'll see this by Jesus in the Gospels. You see it by Paul in First Timothy five as well. That honor has to do not only with an attitude of respect, but it also goes to I'm taking care of my parents. This is what Jesus reproved the Pharisees for in the Gospels because their rules had forbidden essentially had had become a, a way out of grown children from helping their parents in need. So that's to children. How are you doing on your checkoff list, by the way? Um, When when Paul goes for God to address parents, he starts with fathers. He doesn't say fathers and mothers here. He says fathers, and that's significant. Ultimately, it's fathers who are responsible for their household and for parenting. Now, you know, little kids gravitate to mom. Mom's warm and cushy and they nurse and they get comfort, all of which is great, right? The older they grow, though, the more they need the influence of their father. God gives children things to their father that mothers simply cannot give just the way we're wired, the way he's put this thing together. And instead of stating a positive to fathers, God states a negative. He says a positive, love your wife. He says to wives, a positive, submit. He says to children, a positive, obey. But he gets to fathers and he says, don't do this. That's significant, isn't it? Don't provoke your children to anger. And it's the same thing he says in Colossians. And the fact that he says this means this is what fathers will tend to do. They will tend to provoke children to anger. This term provokes a strong one. It's made up of two roots, para and orge. With overflowing emotion and anger. Don't push your kids in a way that they're overflowing with resentment and anger. Now, On one hand, you can push, parents can push children towards obedience much further than most parents think. You can demand a lot from your kids in the way of obedience, a respectful attitude. But you want to be age appropriate and sensitive to the particularities of any one of your children. You could be demanding something from them they're simply not old enough to do or they don't comprehend. Or simply by their own constitution, one child can do one thing and another child can't or isn't ready to. There's just sensitivities that you have to bring to bear here. And you can read in your children, if you have pushed them to this provoking, that they're ticked. They're angry. They're frustrated. Maybe you're chiding them. Maybe you're mocking them, talking down to them, maybe disrespecting them. That's what this is talking about. And dads have a tendency to do this. We want little kids to be like us. Get up, Junior, lick your wounds, and get going. Your arm's cut off, that's okay. You can still do this. Whatever. So, fathers are called, don't, you'll tend to do this. Don't do this, he says. Don't provoke your children to anger. And he says, instead, bring them up in the discipline. Uh, And the nurture or instruction of the Lord, and and I knew I'd run short of time and I've got a little bit yet to go. So let me rush through some of this. Um, um, As parents, do you pray for your children and do you pray with your children for and with? Um, Dads, especially, if I said one thing here would be this. If you have found you've provoked your children, do you go and apologize to them? Do you humble yourself and apologize to your children when you've sinned against them this way? And this is the deal. As parents, you want to win your child's heart so that they want to hear what you have to say so that you can guide them. When you provoke your children and you don't humble yourself and ask their forgiveness, they will harden their hearts against you. And they'll grow up as teenagers and you'll wonder, why don't they respect me? Why don't they listen to me? And oftentimes that's the reason. Because they've been provoked to anger and they have closed their heart to their dad or their dad and their mom. And that's what you want to avoid. Um, Sorry, there's a checklist. You'll have to fill most of that out on your own. Are you helping them develop their own discernment related to friends they hang out with, vocations, money, etc.? Servants um, and masters, again... um, If you were an au pair today living in someone's house, if you lived in a mansion on the east or west coast and had that kind of money, you might have live-in help. That still exists today, but it's not where most of us live. That's where this would apply. We tend to apply it to employment, and there's a couple things for you to look at there, employees and employers. I'll let you read that later. I probably forgot one or two of these. Yeah, sorry, I did forget. Okay, read that one. That's good. Okay, that one. Most of us aren't living there and don't have those servants. Okay, that's what we would be talking about. The servants. Here's the last one. This isn't in the text, by the way, but I had to get this one in. Um, God's house is open. God has an open door policy. And so should we. You remember Jesus in the temple says my house, my father's house is meant to be a house of prayer for all people. Now, house of prayer. No problem. The Jews had with that for all people. That was the qualifier. Because Jesus was talking about Gentiles and he was quoting Isaiah. Uh, God's, our Father's house is open, it's open to strangers like us. And if we're a family living under the lordship of Christ, we should be exercising gracious hospitality to others like God our Father does. Our house should be open. So, are our homes, are our families open to single adults? a lot of our friends, they'd love to be married and they're not. Are they part of your family and mine? They should be. And they should feel I'm part of their family. I'm not sticking out here by myself. Are our homes and families open to those who are new to the church? Talked to a couple just the other day. They were at a church a while ago and they said nobody spoke to us. Big church. Lots of people around. No one spoke to us. Can you imagine? Hospitality is the least courtesy any of us should pay to anyone. Is your house open to your children's friends? That can be obnoxious, can it? Adolescent friends of your adolescent kids? Yeah. Is your house open to them too? Or neighbors? So hospitality should be a given for a household, for a family being lived under the Lordship of Christ. one of the great examples my parents set for me. It was a given if someone didn't have a place to go on a holiday, they're coming to our house. We drive across town. We had so much fun. I have so many great memories of the odd people around our table at holidays. It was great. I loved it. As a kid, I loved it. Our kids loved it a little less uh, as they grew up in my house than we loved it. Now, these are two of my favorite graduates. You can see on the image there, Ralph Long and Johnny Shearer. And the reason they're my friends and Kathy's friends and they're members of Lion Lamb Church family, too, is because Derek and Stephanie Sharp opened their home to them about ten years ago. And these were two young guys who, they needed a family. They needed a home. And so two Christians with a household and the love to go around said, "We, we can do this. And so you guys will see them here, Lord willing. I think Ralph's gone, but Johnny should be here this morning. That's just the fruit. And they're delightful, by the way. They are a kill. If you want some laughs, hang out with Ralph and Johnny. Um, that's the fruit of someone that says, God has shown me grace and hospitality. Surely we can turn around and do that in our family and in our household as well. So, guys, if we're not characterized by Christ-like submission, respect, love, obedience, honor, if, that's, if we're not characterized by that, that's probably a lot of us in a lot of different ways. And so we simply want to respond, I want to submit my life to Christ, and this is some of the ways I do that. If you grew up in a home where this was practiced, great. You're ahead of the game. If you didn't, that's okay. This information is yours now, and you want to do that in your family today. That's what you want to raise your family in. Our families and our homes should be a place, and this really is the bottom line, isn't it? If Christ is ruling in our family, if our family lives are lived under the headship of Christ, there is love, there's respect, there's obedience, there's honor, There's humility. There's grace. That is, it's a taste of heaven on earth. And we get the benefit of it because we're living in it. But also it's a testimony to the world around us that you just, it's hard to find these days. So a family lived under the headship of Christ, guys, it's a great place to be. Great place to be. Father, thanks that you've welcomed us into your family, that your grace and hospitality extended even to us, that Jesus took on our sins thoughtfully, from eternity past, your plan, Lord, to bring us home to your family. We appreciate it and ask that this kind of loving submission, a life lived in submission to Christ, would be ours. In Jesus' name, amen.